Grace and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. The words of our text today are from Luke 22, verses 66 to 71. As soon as it was day, the council of the elders of the people met together, both the chief priests and experts in the law. They brought him into their Sanhedrin and said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer me or release me. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. They all said, Are you then the Son of God? He said to them, I am what you are saying. Then they said, Why do we need any more testimony? We ourselves have heard it from his own mouth. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Save us by this truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, once again we are looking at one of those crucial moments in the life of Jesus. Now some may not know it, but the Jews had two official trials. Well, one wasn't exactly official, but they'd had two trials for Jesus. We are specifically going to look at the second trial today. And we'll have that with the theme, the semblance of legality. That's sort of a mouthful, isn't it? How about this, the appearance of fairness. Does that sound a little better than the semblance of legality? First of all, it wasn't fair to Jesus. Even a child knows what's fair. Uh, think of a little child, we'll call him Tommy. Now Tommy's at the dinner table, and he looks over at his sister, and he's got this little dessert, and she has this big dessert. And he goes, it's not fair. She has more than me. Or think of children in school. And the teacher says, somebody broke this thing here, and I want you to, whoever it is, raise your hand, and no one raises their hand. So now what do you do? Well, you're all going to have to stay inside for recess. Nobody's going to admit to breaking it. What do the children say? It's not fair. Or you have a work project. Now, there's several people that are going to be on the work project. Unfortunately, one seems to get stuck with most of the work. But it gets turned in, and the company's so happy, they give a bonus to everybody that was involved. And the one that did all the work goes, that's not fair. And so now we think, you know, it, it hurts when we seem to be the ones hurt by what's not fair. But usually we get over that. But what happened to Jesus truly was not fair. And he had very little time to get over it because the decision that was made early that morning would lead to his death only hours later. The Jews had had one trial at night, those one where they brought in all the witnesses, they paid them to come in, and they still could find nothing wrong with Jesus. And so uh, they asked him again if he was the Christ, and he said, yes, I am. I'm the, I'm the Savior, the Son of God. And they said, you're, you're guilty. Now this charge carried with it a mandatory sentence of death. But in order to carry out that sentence, they had to have a trial in the daytime not at night. 
And so, wouldn't you know, I'd say about three seconds after sunrise, they were meeting to set up the trial. They didn't want to waste any time. And they began um, immediately to, to finish, to get started on that second trial. Now, they didn't bring any witnesses this second time. They didn't have any evidence. But they weren't disappointed. Jesus did not disappoint them. As soon as he asked, they asked him, Are you the Christ? He voluntarily admitted it. Yes, I'm the Christ. I am the Son of God. That was probably the shortest trial in the history of Israel. <laughs> it started, he did it, I did it, you're done. And it was daytime, so now they could legally carry him off to Pilate. The verdict was clear, guilty as charged. Now, a lot of these people who were judges on the Sanhedrin had seen Jesus. They'd even seen miracles. Some had probably even seen Lazarus raised from the dead. Wouldn't you think there had been the slightest thought in their minds, perhaps he really is the Son of God? And if not that, these are the religious leaders of their day. What are they doing breaking most of the commandments in this trial that they had against Jesus, especially the fifth commandment, you shall not murder. But before the trial even started, the head judge, Caiaphas, the high priest, had said this, it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Boy, those words sound noble. But they were just given to conceal the injustice of Jesus' death. That was sort of the pattern of the, the Jewish Sanhedrin. They wanted to appear good, and they wanted to appear innocent, despite their sins. But earlier, Jesus had warned them, quoting Isaiah 29, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. We could compare with how these leaders tried to deal with their sin to a person, a man living in a filthy house. The health department hears about this and they just get a glimpse of what's inside that house and they said, if you don't clean this up, you're out of that house. We're not going to let you live there anymore. So the man thought, well, I'll determine what, what, what makes a clean house. Yes, I know there's, there's rotting food in most of the floors, and there's garbage bags everywhere, but if I take just two bags out to the garbage, that'll be enough. Then I'll decide, yep, the house is clean. Now, what is he doing? Well, he's deceiving himself. By anyone's standard, the house is not clean. Our lives can be like a dirty house. Sometimes we get tripped up with, by guilt for the hurtful things that we say or we're burdened with our sinful thoughts knowing they shouldn't be there. We, have, you know, we should be thinking of what is the things above. Or we get upset by our, by our lives because we know there's too many times we should have done good, but instead of doing good, we just let it go, disappointing others and God. 
How can we clean up the spiritual mess that's in our lives? Like the Jewish leaders of Jesus' time, we could just say, let's change the rules. That's easy enough. It doesn't really get to the heart of the matter, does it? Or it would be nice to just make some other friends, do nice things for them, and they'll all tell you, you're good. Uh, Jews like to do that, too, amongst the Pharisees. But that, too, didn't really get rid of the problem. Not knowing, because we know that God is not swayed by good enough. He is not swayed by human opinion. He wants us to have fully dedicated hearts, hearts that love him and show that love to others. As Jesus stood at that second trial, he warned his judges on the Sanhedrin, from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. What was Jesus saying? You're going to kill me. I know you are, but I'm going to come alive. And then the Lord will give me even my human nature. I already have it, but now I'm going to use it. And what's he going to use? All power and authority. And he's basically telling them, if you don't repent before I appear in glory, no matter what your semblance of legality might be, you are going to die in your sins. And not one of you who doesn't believe is going to raise your hand and say, that's not fair. Because it is fair. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus, in speaking about this, also had a heart of love. And he was reaching out to the people to say, there is still time to change. Listen to what the word has to say. I want to be like that mother chick, mother hen that goes out there and gathers the chicks because they know there's going to be harm. But he said, but you would not listen. Now, thankfully, tonight, we are listening. And we're trusting in God, not in some semblance of goodness. We sang it a little earlier, but in Psalm 130, it states, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sin, O Lord, who could stand? And the answer is, no one. No one could stand. Because God demands a perfect life from us. And we can't provide that. That is why, by faith, we believe what the Lord's Word says. And the Lord's Word says that we're sinners. And the Lord's Word says that we deserve to be punished for our sins. And so we live in daily repentance, which means not just being sorry for what we've done, but also believing the promise that God gives. And that also is in Psalm 130, with you, O Lord, there is forgiveness. So it wasn't fair what happened to Jesus. But secondly, thank God that in Christ, he isn't fair with us. See, Jesus lived with more than a semblance of legality or of goodness. If you use that picture of the filthy house, what was his house? What was his life like? Well, it was spotless. It was perfection. You wouldn't see a thing out of place in the entire house. He always honored God. And that's why at Jesus' second trial, the only thing that they could find wrong with him is that he told the truth. 
that he was the Son of God. Now, then there was a third trial. He goes to Pontius Pilate. And Pilate declared him innocent as well. He washed his hands in a semblance of fairness, right? But, of course, he couldn't wash away his guilt any more than we can just wash away the guilt in our lives. But Jesus can. The blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, earlier I mentioned how one child was complaining about a, another because the other had more. Did you ever hear it the other way? Mom, why did you give me more dessert? I, I never heard that in my life. I don't think I ever will. When somebody is not treated fairly, but it's in a way that they get the blessing, they're going, Shh, this is really too good to be true. It not that the way it is with God and us? Isn't it too good to be true? But it's true. Our Savior gave his life for us so that we could have eternal life. We don't deserve it, but he gives it to us as a gift. There will be a fourth trial, by the way. Jesus is involved, but not as the defendant. He's going to be the judge. And all people are going to stand before him. Now, we don't need to have any evidence or witnesses hauled out for that trial either. Jesus is going to say to those who believe in him, you are not guilty for your sins because I have forgiven you and I have replaced your sinful life with a perfect life. And Jesus, of course, as judge, has the final say. At the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned those three examples of people who thought life was unfair to them. Let's compare them to what Jesus has done for us. There was the boy upset about not getting as much dessert as his sister. Jesus, our brother, has offered us the greatest thing for us to take in, the sweetness of forgiveness. And he gets nothing out of it except the satisfaction that he gets to lead us to heaven where there's a banquet table set up covered in blessings for each one of us. And then there were the children stuck in the classroom. They might still be there for all we know. No one's confessing. What about Jesus in that? You see, there's the case where one person does something wrong and everybody kind of gets stuck. It's the opposite with Jesus. We all do something wrong. We've all sinned against God. There's only one that's not guilty, and he's the one who raises his hand and says, I'm the one who did it. What an amazing Savior we have. And then third one, where the person's in a group and one does the work, well, we can understand that one, Jesus. Jesus has done everything needed so that we receive heaven as a free gift through faith. It's not fair. Thank God we don't get the punishment that we deserve. We receive forgiveness, new life, and eternal life in heaven. I'll conclude with a hymn that states it well. Christ has borne the smiting only that my wounds might all be whole. He has suffered sad and lonely, rest to give my weary soul. Yes, the curse of God enduring 
blessing unto me securing. Thousand, thousand thanks shall be, dearest Jesus, unto thee. Amen. Please stand. <clears throat> and now the peace of God that passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.